The California Technology Council's new CTC Benefits Trust combines groups of emerging technology companies to offer large company benefits to small businesses. This approach delivers employee benefit programs with better choices and at a lower cost. What's included? Medical, dental, and vision options are available with additional employer and employee online resources to support simplified enrollment and administration. To learn more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash join. That's californiatechnology.org forward slash join. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The convergence of information technology with the life sciences is opening up new ways of approaching the challenges of drug discovery and development. While much has been made about approaches that seek to leverage artificial intelligence, Nanome is bringing virtual reality into the process. With the company's technology, scientists can take a fantastic journey to view and manipulate proteins, compounds, and other molecules at a nanoscale. We spoke to Steve McCloskey, founder and CEO of Nanome, about the company's virtual reality platform, how scientists can use it to collaborate in real time, and its potential to change the way researchers discover and develop drugs. Steve, thanks for joining us. Cool, yeah, thanks for having me on. We're going to talk about nanome, drug design, and the use of virtual reality to enhance the way drug developers view and design therapeutics today. Perhaps you can begin with the role that a structural understanding of a therapeutic model molecule works today. What, what's the process that's used to understand the structure of a molecule? Yeah, the the structure of a of a protein molecule is extremely important for you know characterizing a, uh, you know a disease and trying to come up with a solution for you know, mitigating that disease. So you know determining the protein structure from a sequence is a very hard issue. It's the protein folding challenge. So you know many researchers will uh, express that protein uh, in a certain strain of E. coli. Uh, given the sequence, purify that protein, and then crystallize it for X-ray diffraction or nuclear magnetic resonance. Um, also, cryo-EM is becoming a lot more popular um, to just you know, basically shoot electrons through your sample and understand the structure that way. Um, but that still needs some improvement in resolutions, but we're kind of seeing that on the horizon. What, so after they, yeah. Why does that information matter? How do drug developers use it? Yeah, um, so once you have that information, um, you know, like understanding the, the pattern that you need to fill in. And so if you're able to see the three-dimensional concavities and, you know, see which parts of the structure are of significance and importance and which part binds with another protein in order to form something, 
um, you know, like a capsid or a, a membrane layer. Um, you know, the more that you understand structurally, the more insight that you have on, you know, how you could try to, to, you know, change things and do things a bit different, whether it's, you know, putting a small molecule in between some proteins or filling in a, a protein, um, you know, pocket and putting an inhibitor in there. So understanding that three-dimensional, you know, protein structure is very important for designing drugs and new therapeutics. It is a three-dimensional object. Most of the renderings I think people see of molecules, though, are two-dimensional. Is there a gap in the way people think about these structures and view them versus their reality? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's kind of this uh, you know, multi-dimensional um, you know, problem here because you know, it really starts as a one-dimensional piece of information um, that folds into a three-dimensional structure. So, you know, that one-dimensional sequence of amino acids folds into this 3D structure. But when we look at that 3D structure on a 2D screen, if it's a static image um, and it's not moving, we don't really understand the full picture. We just see a single snapshot of a 2D image. Um, but then what researchers do, at least historically, is they need to rotate that and move that around on a 2D screen in order to have somewhat of an understanding of depth perception and three-dimensional structure. Um, but with virtual reality, you actually don't need to move it. You have full stereo, um, you know, stereoscopic understanding of the structure immediately. And then when you do move the protein, um, you could actually, you know, play back simulations of the protein moving over time. And so this gives you even greater insight as to, you know, how this three-dimensional structure of the protein uh, will change over time. And so that's just, it's just so much more insight that you gain towards the understanding of the structure when you use you know, new technology like virtual reality compared to traditional 2D screens or even traditional uh, you know, 3D monitors. How broadly useful is structural information about a molecule today? And is there value in somehow expanding who has this information? Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's over 122,000 solved protein structures on the RCSB protein databank, and, and really more emerging every day as researchers crystallize and upload new structures. Um, you know, but having that, that information accessible to everyone through these, you know, online databases means that, you know, anyone could start looking at these structures and, you know, trying to, to gain their own insights on, on how they could come up with, you know, novel therapies and novel drugs that target it. I think that there was a, a recent um, you know, study survey that came out, and uh, I believe you know, most of the drugs, over 50% of all the drugs that were approved in the last 10 years, had some sort of a protein structure target that was determined. So this is um, you know, a very critical piece of technology that researchers in you know, large pharmaceutical companies, universities, research organizations, um, they all use these three-dimensional protein structures in order to you know, help come up with new small molecules or, or large molecule proteins um, to, you know, work with, uh, work with the disease and develop a better therapeutic for it. When I think of the visualization of these molecules, uh, I think of it in terms of information about how a, a drug might bind to a target. What are the other types of information, you know, from a lay perspective that people can gain from the visualization of a molecule? Yeah, um, you know, definitely the, the binding uh, of different proteins to each other, the binding of, of small molecules to, um, you know, large protein targets, 
um, you know, the movement and the interactions of, of proteins happening over time, um, you know, because it's not always a, you know, three-dimensional cave or, um, you know, a lot of people use the, the lock and key analogy because um, the lock is also moving over time. And so there's different parts uh, of the protein structure that could even be snapping together and, and you know, kind of wiggling around and moving around. And so the, the more um, bandwidth that humans have to understand these structures, um, you know, the more insight and the more processing that we're able to do. And so when you look at things on a 2D screen, we're very bandwidth limited um, as the, the amount of information that we're understanding per second. Um, but when we use you know, both of our eyes in the full stereoscopic virtual reality application, then we have a, a lot more bandwidth to understand what's really going on. You're developing a, a virtual reality visualization that not only allows you to render a molecule in three dimensions, but has a collaborative quality as well, where multiple users can interact at once with the molecule. W what exactly does Nanome do? Yeah, um, so it's a very important aspect. You know, through um, our entire species, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, we've all been working together. As, as groups, um, you know, we haven't been individuals. We've been uh, a collective consciousness, uh, people all working together uh, to help advance ourselves. And so this is, um, you know, continuing in that vein, you know, getting people together just like we do in, in real life um, in full three dimensions and working on complex uh, three-dimensional problems that we all need to solve together. Um, so at Nanome, we're developing an application that allows you to you know, import different molecular structures, uh, modify them, uh, link up simulation software to run calculations and simulations, and collaborate with anyone around the world. So, you know, all you need is an internet connection. You throw on a headset in San Diego, somebody else throws on a headset in Switzerland, and it's like you're right next to each other, you know, working on these molecular structures together. And what information does the system need to, to render a molecule? Yeah, um, so, you know, the 122,000 proteins on RCSB Protein Databank are, are stored in very common file formats, such as uh, MMSIF, which is a macromolecule crystal information file, um, you know, SDF, structural data format, or, or PDB, which is just Protein Databank. Uh, all of these formats are, are very similar. They're essentially a text document, kind of like a Word document, um, that just has a list of atoms and coordinates and, and other information like that. And we take that text information and we use that to parse it into full three-dimensional structures. So, um, you know, just a, a list of atoms, coordinates, atoms' names, you know, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, things like that. Uh, so long as we have that information, you know, then we could really get started and render that in virtual reality and allow you to edit it as well. And, and how much expertise or, or training does someone need to use the system? Yeah, um, you know, we have the full spectrum. So, you know, we really focus on developing a tool that is professional, that will help out, you know, researchers at large pharmaceutical companies develop better drugs, develop better medicine, um, you know, really building off of all the knowledge that we've been collecting in the past, you know, 50 years of, of this computational drug discovery. Um, so we, we go and we try to make this professional tool. But with virtual reality, we have a really great opportunity to make it accessible to everyone. So we've seen children, um, you know, as young as elementary school children, uh, trying out our application with ease and, you know, pulling up protein structures, you know, blowing up DNA and making it huge, you know, modifying chemicals and kind of building their own molecules. Um, so it, it's 
all ages, um, you know, really trying to get the professional level tool out to everyone and really empower the next generation of scientists to get started early. And if I understood correctly, you're using fairly off-the-shelf equipment to do this, the, the Oculus Rift, Windows 10 Professional. How expensive is it for someone to, to dive into this world and, and get up and running with it? Yeah, um, so we definitely um, you leverage all the off-the-shelf consumer hardware, gaming hardware, um, you know, wh- whatever is available. So the Oculus Rift and um, the Rift S are really great options to plug into your desktop. Um, the HTC Vive and the Windows Mixed Reality headsets as well. Um, yeah, the Windows Mixed Reality headsets, I, I think I've seen them for less than 200 bucks now. So if you already have a computer um, that could you know, play a video game, then 200 bucks is kind of the minimum where you could plug that in. But if you don't already have a computer and you just wanted a VR headset that did everything, uh, they just came out with the Oculus Quest, and that's uh, $400. The computer's built in, the tracking's built in, uh, the controllers uh, come with it, and so really that's it. Four hundred bucks, and you know anyone could get started, you know, analyzing these complex proteins and building their own chemicals. And what exactly does someone have to do to use the system? How, how do they control it, and what do they see? Yeah, um, so they will um, you know, put on a head-mounted display. Um, so the head-mounted display essentially has a, a cell phone screen in it and uh, two lenses. And then uh, your left and your right eye each get a different image. And uh, it's you know, very similar to how we see the, the world around us. You know, because we, the left and the right eye each have a different viewpoint and different image, uh, we see in the full three dimensions like we would in real life. So you put on the head-mounted display. Uh, it's kind of like a helmet or ski goggles. Um, and then you pick up these controllers or wands. And so the controllers, um, when you're in virtual reality, it just looks like your hands. Um, but when you pick them up, they're these um, you know, little plastic controllers with a few buttons, you know, one for your middle finger, one for your index finger, maybe some thumb buttons. And if you move your arm in front of you and, and wave it around, you'll see your virtual hand move around it and wave it around. Um, so it really is just a, a one-to-one mapping with what you're doing in real life. Um, but because you're holding this controller in your hand, and that controller is being tracked in space and, and all the rotations are being tracked as well, uh, that's called six degrees of freedom because you have um, you know, three spatial uh, movements, X, Y, and Z, and then three rotational uh, movements as well with roll, pitch, and yaw. And so you have that full six degree of freedom uh, tracking, and so it just feels really natural. Um, so you get the hand presence in there, and you really just you know, grab the molecule uh, by pressing your middle finger uh, button on the controller. Um, just feels like you're kind of grabbing or squeezing it, and, and now you could, you know, move that protein or, or that molecule around um, just as you would pick up, you know, a, a cup on your desk or, or just any everyday object. And can, how easily can someone build or alter a molecule? And in so doing, what would the output be? Would they be able to determine anything about the behavior or stability of a molecule? Yeah, um, so it's very easy to modify molecules. We actually just released uh, the new chemistry update with Nanom 1.10. And so what that allows users to do, um, we used to have a atom-by-atom atom mode. So if you have um, you know, a, uh, six uh, carbons in a benzene ring and you wanted to you know, add a, a functional group and add a whole chemical group to that, um, what we had before is you would have to do atom-by-atom. Atom. So you would add a carbon, add an oxygen, add a nitrogen, um, sort of one by one. 
Uh, but now we have this uh, really great medicinal chemistry panel that allows you to um, you know, add a whole chemical group to another chemical group. And so it makes building new molecules extremely easy. Um, you know, we have energy force fields that um, will auto-minimize the structure. So if you are you know, drawing things in 3D and you, the bond is a little bit too long or you know, your thing's a bit twisted and doesn't make sense, uh, the, the energy minimization will actually find a, a good uh, structure for you or find, find a good um, you know, energy landscape. So it just, it just minimizes all the atoms, you know, bring them close together if they're too far apart, uh, pushes them further apart if they're too close together. And so that's just being applied automatically. You don't need to you know, write your own uh, force field potentials and scripts. Um, so that's just automatic as you're building. And then for calculating the properties of the molecule, um, we actually link up third-party software. Um, you know, there's a ton of software out there. You know, Autodoc Smina is a really great application, for instance, that allows you to design a new chemical and then uh, score that molecule with a particular protein. So if you have a, a protein target, you have this you know, three-dimensional concavity binding pocket, and you're trying to come up with these new molecule structures, uh, very easy to come up with new ones and modify things on the fly. Uh, but then in terms of you know, deriving results, uh, you would use that plugin, uh, the Autodoxamina plugin, to then calculate how well your new molecule is binding with your protein. And so we're all about you know, just enhancing users and kind of um, there's a popular term thrown around in the artificial intelligence world uh, called centaur approach, where it's um, you know, the best chess player in the world isn't a pure computer, you know, IBM Watson, it isn't, you know, Gary Kasparov and, and just a, a pure human. It's actually a team of humans and supercomputers working together to determine what the best chess moves are. And so that's the model that we're seeing in computational chemistry right now as well. It's not just chemists coming up with random structures on their own. Um, it's not just, you know, AI backend black box kind of coming up with random structures on its own. Um, it's really these, these humans that work with computers in an effective way. Uh, to come up with unique solutions. And so we're very much in line with that Centaur model where we want to augment uh, humans working on these issues and link up very complex you know, computational chemistry software, docking software, molecular dynamic software, all the software that traditionally has been very hard to use. We want to make it easy, you know, as easy as clicking a few buttons and um, you know, give the humans the, the insight that allows them to you know, unleash their creativity and leverage the computational resources in a way that just speeds things up tremendously. And, and how does that go from the virtual world to the real world? How, how does a chemist or structural biologist take what they've discovered manipulating a, a molecule in, in virtual reality and then using it to manufacture it in the lab and test it? Yeah, um, that, so there's a few companies out there um, that I've seen that once you have your, um, your, your chemical structure determined, you know, you've made some choices in virtual reality, you've added some, some chemical groups to your molecule, and you've done a few things, uh, it'll actually give you synthesis pathways. Um, you know, one of the, the popular ones, I think they got bought by Millipore Sigma, but they were called Chematica. And uh, you know, there's several other pieces of software very similar. Um, that once you have that, that end result, that computational structure, that blueprint that you want, it'll give you, you know, 50, 100 different ways to synthesize it with different chemical reagents. So it'll say mix A with B and then, you know, mix C in there. Um, it'll just, 
you know, automatically give you ways to synthesize it. And so instead of, you know, traditionally you would need to have all the knowledge on how exactly you would need to synthesize this. That part has already been, you know, automated by computer software, um, where you don't need to be a, a traditionally trained chemist. You just need to be a really great pattern recognizer and pattern solver. Um, and then once you've, um, you know, come up with a creative solution, validate it through computational techniques, um, then you could go back and, and figure out ways to synthesize it in the lab. Um, and then to take it a step further, uh, we've actually seen some really innovative companies out there uh, that are working on automated uh, labs where the robots will synthesize it for you. And so what we're really approaching is this full automated pipeline where, you know, once once you come up with your 3D structure of the chemical and virtual reality, you will basically be able to just, you know, upload it. The you know software will figure out ways to synthesize it. The robots will mix the chemicals for you, and then they will output the the chemical. And then I think that the future model after that is you know once they have synthesized the chemical in real life, um, you know using the robots to then you know test it on different uh, cell cultures and assays and and really get uh, more validation for how things are working with you know real life samples. Well, where would this ideally sit in the drug discovery process, and, and how might it improve the way things are done today? Yeah, um, I think that it could keep spreading, um, but you know, right now we have a, a lot of drugs that end up going through um, you know phase one trials and then failing. And so the more insight that we gain early on in the you know, discovery phase and the lead optimization validation stages, all these very early stages, the, the more work that we do there, um, the less money we're going to be wasting down the line in phase one failures, phase two failures, phase three failures, uh, those could get extremely pricey. And so when we look at the funnel, funnel um, there's a lot of drugs that end up you know, going into the top of the funnel, but very few drugs that end up coming out the other end. And so we end up with this huge, huge cost, huge overhead, you know, billions of dollars in order to actually get this drug to market and uh, you know start impacting people's lives, whether it's improving their quality of life, um, you know, saving their life. Uh, it's like a you know, 10-, 12-year cycle, $2 billion. It's, uh, it's absolutely enormous. And so any little bit that you could chip away uh, against that number, um, you know, you're just going to see so many new, uh, new opportunities, new chemicals emerging that are going to help people. And has anything been done yet to use the system in, in real life to design a molecule or improve on the structure of a molecule? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're working with um, you know, many of the uh, you know, big pharmaceutical names out there. Uh, we actually just uh, published a paper with the Genomics Institute of the Novartis Research Foundation. Um, so their researchers um, you know, were using our, our virtual reality tools um, you know, in their, their workflows and their pipelines, and the paper really highlights you know, just how impactful it is with their workflows. And so what we're going to be seeing over the next several years are, you know, some of these molecules that we've helped um, these research, researchers come up with, validate, uh, optimize. We're going to see these molecules actually, you know, getting into clinical trials. Uh, it's still going to take some time. You never want to rush it. You know, things could always happen with um, you know, adverse side effects that you, you can't predict computationally. Um, but, you know, the more computations that we do and the more understanding and insight that we have for these structures, um, you know, hopefully the, the less adverse side effects we end up seeing when we go into the clinic. Steve McCloskey, CEO of Nano. Steve, thanks so much for your time today. Cool, yeah, thanks so much for having me.
Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.